0: Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host James Daly, and in this episode, we're chatting with Andrew Whipple, a developer for Daily Magic Games, a publisher of many games that fall under the Valeria universe. Their latest title, Castellans of Valeria, is currently on Kickstarter. Andrew. Welcome to The Binge. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, James. I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's great to have you on here. So, Andrew, maybe you can give us just a quick um, overview of of kind of who who is like Daily Magic Games as a whole. Maybe you can just kind of give us a a quick overview of that for people who don't know.
1: Yeah. Daily Magic Games officially started 2009. Uh, David McKenzie is the founder. Uh, There's a whole rich history there, but super small games publisher. Uh, We've been making, as you said, the Valeria universe of games Uh, that has been that has been the bread and butter of what this company is. Uh, However, we have certainly published other smaller games. So we're looking around kind of like you actually look around to see kind of what's out there. Try to give people a shot in the dark sometimes. Uh, But that's who we are.
0: That's cool. Now, I mean, and I don't want to underplay this. You guys are run something like, is it 25 or 20, 23 or 25 Kickstarters alone?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: And then have you done any direct, has there been any direct to retailers in between any of those? Or has it just been those kind of like 25?
1: Not really much that's direct to retail, uh, some of which, but most of the things that we require just because we're so small, do require the crowdfunding boost to be able to get that stuff over the hump. Sure. Uh, Stuff like Quests of Valeria originally had started in the Villages of Valeria campaign. That was Mm -hmm. the second Kickstarter we ever did. Also, uh, coincidentally, talking about it now, was... Our most funded, I believe it was about $214,000 for that oh, one. Wow. And we're talking like way back to yeah. where a base pledge was, I think it was like 14 bucks. So very different times. The good old
0: days, they call those. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. And then
0: how did you start this company? Have you been with, like, when did you come in?
1: So I've known, I've known David. I've known David McKenzie since... 2019 so i didn't come in until late in the company's life uh technically what i said is a little bit of a lie because clever mojo games was the one that got started in 2009 and okay. then it, eventually it evolved that company ended up getting sold to game salute and then daily magic games was founded shortly thereafter i believe that was 2012 as long as i'm n- not misconstruing my dates now, know was david- he,
0: what, no david would but was he, was he like kind of from the beginning and kind of moved with a different ownership or did he kind of acquire and then kind of take it from there?
1: Yeah, so David's not really the kind of man that likes to talk about himself, which is why I'm here talking about uh, most of this stuff now. Of course. Uh, and, and he deserves a lot of credit. A little yeah. do many people know uh, that is this is something a little passion of mine is that not enough history is kept about the board games industry. And what I mean is, did you know that david mckenzie is the the very first person who spawned a successful kickstarter for board games i did not I'm, know that i'm not kidding uh, surely there was probably something beforehand out there some smaller stuff that's out there but just on a, a bigger level mm. uh, he kickstarted alien frontiers the oh, very wow. first edition of the game that ever existed uh, you can look on Kickstarter; it is there as historical evidence. I yeah. believe it only made fourteen thousand dollars, something like that. But at the time, once again, astronomical—more than they could have ever hoped to gain. Yeah. Just insane how some of that stuff works out. But that is that's where like some of the history is with this guy. Has there
0: ever been like a, a thought that if you look at like Stomeyer Games, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with Jamie in in his his group. You know, as they had kind of continued to grow, eventually they got to the point where they said, Our audience is so big, right? That we keep uh, pulling over with us that, um, you know, we can probably do our own kind of pre order through our own website and kind of take that audience that way. Was there ever been that kind of discussion with, with your, your team as well to say, you know, we keep bringing these kind of, uh, you know, as backers from campaign to campaign who are familiar with us? maybe we get to a point where we we do it direct and 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 don't do uh, the Kickstarter, but almost do our own pre-orders to our website, things like that.
1: Oh, this could be a podcast all by itself. <laughs> Good. Uh, seriously, it could. It's, seriously, yeah. I think that question, a lot of people ask, and I, I see this in discussions all the time, why don't companies like you go direct to retail? And the answer is, sometimes you just don't have that choice.
0: Now, direct it to is, retail, direct to consumer though.
1: I'm sorry direct, goes direct to consumer right direct consumer like yeah. as well like this is it's sort of the same conversation yeah that you have to have not only warehousing but you have to have the, the right connections to be able to make those orders really come to fruition yeah not everybody has the ability to be able to first of all have anybody can get a website or we're talking like real-time orders somebody places an order nowadays you would expect that order to be shipped out to you within that week. And if I'm being honest, you should probably be getting that package within two to five business days. Yeah. And that's just being generous. But that isn't really an option that hasn't been. Uh, Distribution is a complex problem. And it's not always a problem for somebody. Like Jamie has gone on record and just said that a lot of the stuff he attributes to luck. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, and oh, and yeah. that happens. Like that yeah. can happen. Like you can have an amazing hit, like something like uh, a big game, like a uh, like an oath sworn, right? Yeah. Something like Wingspan's that. Wingspan's a good example of that. Wingspan right? is a great example unfore- as well.
0: Unforecasted. Uh, the forecast on that was way lower than they could have even possibly imagined. Then they're scrambling to catch up, right?
1: Absolutely, and that happens too. Matter of fact, that happened to us. Yeah, uh, when. Shut up and sit down did a random review of Songbirds. Uh, matter of fact, it's right here. Even though I'm sure if this is an audio or video podcast, but here <laughs> it is. Right, this thing is yeah. just a real. It's a real small game. Yeah, just overall really nice and light. We weren't able to make any copies of it for a long time. So when that video came up, we had no idea. So of course that generated some buzz. People wanted to get the game, but you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't go to Amazon, miniature market game nerds, cardhouse, like any any place, board game Bliss in Canada. Mm-hmm. It just it, we don't have it. Like there's nothing that we could do about it. So of course we go, well, how long is it going to take for us to be able to make this print run and then get it over here? Because by then the buzz could just die down. We took the chance anyway. That's a
0: challenge, right? So it's like, okay, we've got this massive demand. We can't fill it, but we have to run the math. If it's going to take us six, eight months to get copies, people might be on to the next game by that point. Now we're sitting on a bunch of stuff that we just rushed to make,
1: right? Absolutely. Yes. That is certainly, that is certainly what it is, but really to answer your question plainly is that we've talked about trying to be able to get those lines more direct to retail than to consumer just because we can't handle the direct to consumer like just the storage space all that it's just it's not it's not possible it it just isn't but even direct to retail you need to if your listeners are unaware of how this works a distributor a network someone orders a ton of your games just a lot of it. And they're going to sit in a warehouse until orders come in. So if a big place, like, Mm. like cool stuff, Inc. back Mm -hmm. in the day, especially if they have more pull and they want to order a bunch of your games, great. Like that's going to come through for you. And then maybe Alliance or whoever else is going to order more of that stuff. But if you don't get those orders in, if it's just a ma and pa, just FLGS, then they might not send anything. It just might not happen. So that has been a thing that has happened to us where there's a lot of games that are just kind of sitting around, Yeah. but that's where it is. And we just don't want that to, to continue to happen. You're sitting on a lot of lost cargo and therefore money.
0: Knowing that is there's this um, urgency around Liquidating, right, to free up that that cash flow because that's cash flow that's, that's tied up for you, or even somebody you've sold to. If you got distributors mm-hmm. bought it and they've got skids and skids sitting in their warehouse, and it's not moving, they're going to liquidate it, right? They're fire sale, it. yeah, fire yeah. sale, right, and get the cash back. And now you've got your game out there in in bargain bins.
1: <laughs> yeah well and you would think that's also a double-edged sword here because you think well if it wasn't going to sell anyway it sucks because we're technically taking a loss or just gaining pretty much nothing from it but we're gaining possible buzz maybe a couple of people pick this thing up and bring it to their game nights and yeah. then maybe donate it to a game library and people are checking it out and now at least there's more eyes on it so there is some positivity to grab from something like that
0: yeah And then, so what was your background before you joined these guys? So this is more recent for you joining them. Were you with another game company? Were you on your own? What was your kind of background?
1: Yeah, just a little history about me. So I was, a long time ago, I was a freelance video games journalist. I had been doing that stuff since school and really wanted to get into it hardcore. But you know, that's, that's another one of those huge things where it even persists today, where it's very difficult to make a living off of that kind of stuff, especially yeah. if you have a family. So I had really built myself up. I would just do every waking moment. I would write and write and write, write, write. And just I was good at interviews. I would be sent to conventions, eventually getting invited to things that don't exist anymore, like the Electronic Entertainment Expo, which it is the, just the first year where they haven't had it. But that was the biggest convention for electronics in the world, uh, one of them. And other conventions, too, like PAX, things like that. But chatting with people, being able to get that news in there, uh, that was a big deal. But eventually, I got sick of just living off of macaroni and cheese and <laughs> things like that. I wanted time back. You got a family, too. So yeah. that's a that, that's a really big deal. But it was my choice. Right? like I, I had a lot of positive experiences from it, lots of connections. I know how the industry works in many ways. Uh, eventually moved on from that. I was a frequenter of cons anyway. So I went to, I just so happened to go to Gen Con one year. I'm like, yeah, let's just go. Let's just, and this tabletop thing is crazy. Let's just get in there. Yeah. And I had met David and Isaiah at the time, the designer of Valeria Card Kingdoms, our flagship title. And they wanted me to, it was one of those things where it's like, hey, uh, you like these games, do you want to, do you want to like hang out at our booth and we'll give you some stuff and it'll be fine. Uh, I was like, yeah, you know what, I, I got nothing else going on. Like, let's just do it. So Thieves Den was their game that year. And I, I remember distinctly, this is how oh, this is so stupid, but it's kind of funny they had about 250 copies of Thieves Den. Mm-hmm. Uh, that game is out of print. You cannot buy it right now, which is unfortunate. But I do think this is a little bias in me, but I think that it is an excellent gateway game in so many ways. Uh, but I told them, 250 games, huh? We're going to sell them all. And they said, I really hope so. Like That would be awesome. And don't you know, if he was here right now, he would confirm we did sell all of those games. And that was, a, that was a, my purpose, that Gen Con.
0: And then what was your, how did you, like, I was talking to people, I was just recently at Origins, right? And did you have a method for, uh, for, for moving the volume? Like, what's your, what's your con kind of uh, tip you would give people to, uh, to get that kind of engagement?
1: So I'm a candid person. And I'm, I'm pretty emotional with just the way that I speak. And I'm, I just try to be matter of fact about those things. I try to sense what kind of people, especially ones that don't really elicit too many emotions, like what they like, what their style is, but I I just give them the crash course and just go, Hey, you know, come on in. I'm just trying to be friendly. you are saying, do you want to play these games? Like, come on over, just sit down. Even if you just play one round, let me give it to you straight. Like, this is the game. This is how it's set up right now. Let's just do a round. Let's see what's going on. Yeah. And it really worked. There was a lot of people that just came by and said, you know what? This this is a this is a perfect game that I think could not exactly be filler, but I could introduce to anybody. And this is just fun. It's like a mixture of, of Splendor and Lords of Waterdeep and love the artwork. Sure. Great. And and that was me. That was me, that con. I come from the uh, vitamins
0: industry and uh, I've been, you know, a lot of, uh, conferences, uh, and conventions and, uh, show halls in that industry. Mm. And the rule of thumb was always, uh, if you're not currently talking to somebody, you're not allowed to let people walk by the booth. <laughs> right. So yeah, you would literally, yeah. you know, go and of course, sometimes you'd have, you know, the, uh, the, whoever's running the con come by and say, Hey, like you guys gotta stay in your booth, but we would literally step into the, the aisle in front of people. Just say, Hey, how you doing? Like I give you an example. We just, uh, uh, we're showcasing catnip auction house, right. At, uh, at origins on the Friday and you'd be amazed at how many people they've got blind because it's not, and it's not that they're trying to avoid you. They're just walking, right. They've got blinders on looking like, you know, hundred feet ahead and they may not even notice that you're there. So something as simple as saying, do you like cats? Yeah. Someone's yes. like, "What, huh?" And they turn and they're like, yeah, I was wondering, do you, do you are you a cat person or a dog person? Most people are going to say they're cat people, of course. <laughs> uh, or if they're not, then you can enter in some kind of discussion as to why they're not cat people. But then it's a lead into, well, we've got this game we just launched today, right? And uh, so for me, what I do anytime I'm at a, at a convention is so I try to think, what is going to be the hook for this convention to pull people into the booth? Not necessarily if they don't want to, like if they don't want they can keep walking. But what is the one thing I can do to grab someone's attention to at least get them to look at me so I can see if there's a a possibility for us to have a conversation, right? You'd be
1: surprised. That's that's the deal. It's it's eye contact. Like if you just are friendly to people, I find that no matter what, like that's the hook itself. Like they want someone that's passionate about the game and that want to do the best that they can for you just sitting there like at the table. Like don't be awkward. Just be friendly. Just, yeah. just say like, Hey, it, it, it's fine. If, if you're, you made a mistake, it's let's just go back. Let's just do this. We'll change it. Not a big deal. We just want you to test the game out. We're not going through the whole thing. I'm not going to record it. I promise. And pretend <laughs> like you're looking at <laughs> taking a picture. Yeah. No, it, it, it can be a lot of fun. And I think that's why cons, especially for people like yourself, yeah, being able to showcase a game that someone didn't even know about at all is huge. Yeah. And they're looking at you. You're selling the game. It's not just the game, it's you. They want to support yourself.
0: Yeah, that's my advice usually to people who are doing kickstarters and they're saying, you know, what's your advice you can give? And my advice is always make it as personal as possible. Right? Because you are the product. Yes, the game, but there's there's I mean there's thousands of games out there right? yeah. on on a weekly basis. Yeah. What is it that cuts through the clutter? many times is people just want to support you. Right. And, um, you know, if they feel like they've, they've been part of especially if they feel like they've been part of the process, right. If you can say, Hey, you know, this, here's some stuff I'm working on. It's not final. What do you think? And they can give their, their thoughts and their opinions. Then there's a bit of ownership that they've, they feel as, as part of that game and they want to be, see it be successful. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I think that's a, that's definitely, that's a great way to put it. Yeah.
0: As a developer. So you, you came from this video game industry where you're doing interviews, right? You're, you're doing the whole media circuit. The development side is obviously much different than that, right? So the development side, you're, you're dealing with manufacturing. You're trying to figure out, okay, how can I actually take this guy's idea and take his prototype, which he thinks is going to go like that. And I can tell you that from a cost perspective, we're going to be trimming some stuff and, you know, we're going to make some changes to make this work from a, from an economical standpoint. Was this something that you've like from your past, you've had some other experience that led into that, or is this something you kind of learned on the job or or kind of, how did that kind of, uh, you know, flush out for you?
1: So it's an interesting deal when you are trying to put two industries like that together, yeah. like video game industry and board game industry. But it's funny because I think that they actually have a ton of similarities. The board game industry is not even like a percent as profitable as video games. Like I believe right now they are the number one source of revenue for the entertainment industry. They surpassed movies, uh, TV, like just it's ridiculous the amount of money that it generates. But you're right, the development process is different. When you are a video game developer, that is of course a completely different thing. However, there's a couple of things that are different that made me sort of just get inserted into this role more naturally. And that is, it's kind of old school. Like when you had a Nintendo, there were no patches, there was no downloadable content. There was nothing like that at all. Those games needed to be ready to go on day one. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with board game industry. It works in the, in the same way. You need to look at something and try to hit it in as many different angles as possible. I'm talking with play testing, people that you put it in front of, what kind of game is is this? Who's it for? How many players can it handle? The, the bugs, like the ins and outs of really just trying to understand that do you need this rule book to be 32 pages? Do you need it to be one page, you know, front and back, yeah. like your century spice roads and golem editions. But sometimes you need a little bit of inflection when it comes to like pictures and whatever else. Sure. but For me, yeah, I was able to fortunately just understand what my role was mm. as, a, as a developer. And Something else I think that it's important for people to understand is that designing and developing are very different. Yeah. In the board game industry, for whatever reason, we associate most of the success because of the designer that's on it. But the fact of the matter is that there's a team behind every single game that's out there. Yeah. Even on Board Game Geek, you will see the name, the designer that's there. But sometimes that designer sells the skeleton to the crew and they might even be part of the same company. People don't know most of the work can actually come after the design process has already happened.
0: Oh, very much so. I mean, the yeah. I mean, of the few licenses that we've signed, um, I mean, we do our own design, obviously, but uh, of other people's games that we designed, um, you know, if you're doing a reskin, I mean, that that's a lot of work, right? Um, and often that game when it's going to market is very different the core essence is the same as what the designer had come up with. But in many cases, if you're, especially if you're making it as part of a property, right? Mm. So where you have a universe, you guys have flushed out. Okay. You find a game. You're like, okay, that game will fit into our universe, but we have to make it fit into our universe. <laughs> right. So that takes totally. a lot of work,
1: right? Yeah. Re-implementations can be tricky business. Like there's, yeah. there's of course, really famous ones that are out there too. Like your Gal- Battlestar Galactica into Unfathomable. Like it's, that's, Unfathomable is Battlestar Galactica, but made in the vein of HP Lovecraft. Yeah. So there's a ton of stuff that's out there. And it's great that it that it exists like that. It just gives people maybe themes that they resonate with more. And it gives mm-hmm. you a reason to maybe tweak some mechanics out there. Yeah. And I, I find that delightful. It's just yeah. a wonderful thing. So on that
0: note, Castellans of Valeria, can you first of all just explain the Valeria world uh, to our listeners, if you don't mind? And then I want to get into the game and and maybe you can give us kind of a preview of what this game is about and, and, and what uh, people can expect when they back this campaign.
1: Yeah, of course. I think this is the number one question that we get is the Valeria universe, like the world, like what is it? Do I need to play the first game in order to play the other ones? Like, where do I start? Like, what's the deal here? Well, starting with Castellans of Valeria we are now putting a little sticker on things. We're going to be dropping the of Valeria Mm. moniker because it creates that kind of confusion. So as you said, this is a world and Valeria is a medieval fantasy style world. And every game that takes place in this world is linked by the iconography and the artwork. And of course the environment that exists, but all the games are different. They're all for different levels. There has been nothing that is linked from one to the other besides those things that I've already said. The story, Valeria yeah. Card Kingdoms is a tableau builder and more of a gateway game that can get more advanced with some other modules you attach to it. But it is very different than a Shadow Kingdoms of Valeria, which is a dice drafting, a personal like, asymmetrical mm. power game. And that's where like some of that confusion comes in. Uh, as far as our game Castellans of Valeria right now, just as we are labeling Cast- yeah, Castellans, and you can say Castellans as well. Like I'm Canadian. Have, have funny, about that that. I have a funny I love it. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> this is the company's first area control game. Okay. I'm a huge fan of area control. I think that is one of the most engaging kinds of genres that you can bring to the table. You're always interacting with people. It's not a solo multiplayer game. It You are paying attention to other people's turns because what they do can change everything that you've done. But it's not to say that you flip a card over and now you have to reassess your entire turn and you've got analysis paralysis. No, this is a game that also sports asymmetrical powers. Everyone starts off with our beautiful dual-layered player boards and the same footing. No matter what, you start the game off the same way. Mm. What you build and what you do is going to slowly develop and indicate what you could be doing, which is possibly helpful information for your opponents to know, but you could also be throwing them off. But you're always engaging the board. Everything that you do in this game constantly says that. And if you're following any of the updates that I put out, which I did one just before this podcast started, I'm always talking about engaging the board. Engage the board, that's what you have to do and we're really excited about this one.
0: I find the components are quite, uh, pre- I like this, uh, this turn. and I'm just showing the page for people to do actually watch the, the video playback versus the <laughs> audio playback. Um, the components look super high quality um, printed meeples. And I thank mean, you. And you've got a lot of like really high end reviewers that are, are looking at this and previewers. So congrats on that as well. Thank I you. Know yes. That, yeah. To get, I mean, a lot of these reviewers and previewers are very, very busy. So To get the ones you've got on here, because I know I've reached out to these ones, many of these in the past uh, for some of my games. I mean, they've got a very, very long uh, lead time, right? So uh, kudos to you for getting the ones you got. This idea of pre-stretch, can you talk about that? That's First, I've seen that term. I like it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that term's been thrown around for a little while now. We talked about this, too, is that do you play the game? that everybody knows where you want people to keep coming back every day and making a bazillion comments because you wanna see what's possible to unlock on the campaign. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that stuff's already unlocked. It just is. They're trying to make it a little bit more exciting for people. So when we talked about it is that most of, if not all of our line of games have, there's a certain premium quality to them. And that's only increased over time, especially as David has become more and more aware of what yeah. people want in the game. So pre-stretched essentially is just letting, you know, look, we actually need your support with this crowdfunding campaign. Like that's how we are going to be, be able to get these games to you directly. So yeah. how do we reward you that way? One, we're giving you the best price that we can, that we can do not MSRP. And then we're going to just do everything out of the box. Nothing's Kickstarter exclusive. But if we can make this stuff happen, then you deserve to have a Game Trays insert, screen-printed meeples, artwork from the Me show. All of that stuff we want to continue to have put through. And you don't have to sit there for this game where you already know, they already unlocked all this stuff. Let's What's going to be today? Yeah. That's it. So th- that's how we've approached it. We just want people to, we don't want to waste their time. But mm-hmm. well, we want them to be able to, as you had said earlier in this conversation, support us for what we do.
0: Yeah, yeah the game trays, and I just I'm hovering on that image too. They look
1: super cool, sleek. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Did they you just... see? That there's a difference between uh, the the prototypes that we've put out there. If anybody's watching, like the reviews, previews, playthroughs, any of that stuff, those those meeples were our like tier one and they've been upgraded. We show what they look like on the page. Now the yeah. me was able to put all of his artwork on it. And it's amazing.
0: Oh yeah. The meeples, the it, it's cool. And you're seeing more of this now in the industry, I think is these, um, you know, pre-printed uh, meeples and not just like one color, but now you're seeing in some cases, multiple colors and, you know, the way you've got your buildings and stuff like that set up. I mean, it it, it looks, it looks super cool. And uh, I want to congratulate you guys on that. Even your funding. I want to congratulate you on your funding. You guys are five times your, uh, your goal uh, was still four days ago. You've got that back end hockey stick that we all, we know always happens in the last 72 hours. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure you guys are going to be pretty excited where you land. What comes after this campaign? So is there more kind of Valeria stories and games coming or is there going to be something else or what do you guys have planned?
1: Well, so in if you've not followed the campaign so far, this is the first one we've announced that we're not making as much as we were hoping to be able yeah. to distribute across uh, different countries uh, for our games. So it's more we're more of a boutique style publisher right now, and that just means that you have the only way we can get the games to you is through just direct shipping from Kickstarter. Like that's mm-hmm. it. And we're hoping to be able to generate an, a more interest that we can in the future be able to make more reprints and possibly uh, better distribution methods happen. As far as like other games go in the future, we have been right now we're working on a unnamed title. Uh It's, can't say too much about it, at least right now, but that's coming up. And yeah. our original titles, so Quests and Villages of Valeria, uh, we are looking to do a, funny we we're talking about it, kind of a re-implementation or a redux version with some yeah. improved rules uh, so they don't lose their identities.
0: Well, I'm sure David's learned a lot since uh, 2009, right? And it's kind of... It's cool to see like an evolution right across and just a sheer number of campaigns you guys have done. And you learn something every time you do a new campaign to improve it. And the industry is changing at the same time. So you're having to constantly, you know, adjust and adapt. Um, But kind of looking back where it first began and saying, you know, we've, we've learned a lot since then, right. Since we did that title, maybe there's another life for those original titles that we did employing now almost like doing a restorations game on our own games kind of a thing right uh to come at it with another another approach would be kind of uh be kind of cool so i'm i'm excited to see that with you guys
1: yeah thank you you see that in second edition sometimes now yeah and like re-implementations so that's the way we're looking at it right now as well before we're going to have new titles of course we are but yeah, that's just something that hopefully we can look forward to in the future here
0: yeah well, for people that want to follow this campaign, uh, you can go to Kickstarter and type in Castellans. So I'm going to spell that so you, people can find it. C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-S. And uh, you'll find this campaign. I'm also going to put a link in the show notes if people want to find it quickly. Uh, check it out. It looks super cool. Uh, and Andrew, I want to wish you guys all the best in this coming year on this campaign and, uh, and as roll out the next year.
1: Oh, we appreciate it. Thanks, James. Really, really appreciate it. No worries.
0: Take care. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you'd like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.